0: You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Glenn Sutherland, Canadian real estate investor with a significant portfolio in the United States and successful host of the Canadian Investing in the U.S. show. How are you, Glenn?
1: I'm doing great. I also am the host of Advanced Real Estate Investing Talk, too. I didn't know
0: this. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for being with me today, and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Oh, I, I love coming on these things, and I appreciate
0: you inviting me. Thanks a lot. So from handyman to Canadian real estate, then United States. But I would like to start with beginning. What was the beginning for you as a investor in Cambridge, Ontario.
1: Okay. so uh, that's it. That, you know what that's a technic, that's a difficult sort of situation to say because yes, I would say I was an investor in Ontario and I was buying properties, but a lot of it, um, I made a lot of mistakes when I started, and I wouldn't say I was like really, I didn't have a business, maybe an investor, but I, I didn't have a business when I was working in Ontario. Um, I was flipping houses. Uh, I was buying houses there wasn't the same systems. There wasn't a plan really is as well. And uh, I was doing a lot of work myself. I would, I'd uh, hire out the trades that I didn't like to do, but I was an on-site guy, you know, doing trim, doing, putting in kitchens, doing the whole thing myself. And I I was keeping rentals in Canada and I was doing that business and I was doing buy and holds for the most part. And uh, I guess the big switch was, um, I had a property, I had some amazing tenants that wanted to move to uh was it Strathroy, Ontario, which mm-hmm. is for me was about an I think it was an hour and a half or two hour drive away. And it it really made me start to think about systems, really start thinking about doing stuff from a distance. And it was close enough that I was like, I could be the property management yet, still, I could walk, go back and forth. Um, and I know. Personally, property management is not my strong suit. I outsource that completely now. Um, you know, I, part of this is to figure out what you're good at and what you're not, and that is not my strength. Um, but anyway, um, so I got used to doing distance. I got used to figuring stuff out, and got more used to hiring people instead of doing it all myself, which was a big step. And while I was doing that, I still had a day job. And when I did my day job, I drove around a lot for my business or what for was my it? job.
0: What? What was your day job?
1: Uh, without dropping the company name, like I fixed like bank machines. Oh, okay. I, I'd fix bank machines. So it's like, it's kind of a a unique job, but you drive around to machine to machine. And when I was doing that, I listened to a ton of podcasts. And Mm. if you go back about seven years or eight years, I don't know how long ago that was. Um, back then there wasn't the same Canadian content there is now. There is Mm. so much Canadian content now, which is amazing but there wasn't. And I was listening to a lot of American podcasts yeah. and I started just taking notes. Anything that kind of um I pull over anytime that there was anything that was like related to Canadians or investing or anything that would be about my journey, and I made this big long list of all my notes. And after a while I said, "You know what? I can do this. I think I've figured out how their like corporate structure works. I think hmm. I've figured out how this stuff works. I think I've picked up the context of people who do cross-border accounting, people who set up corporations for people who are in Canada. And I, I think I figured out enough of this, and then I made the jump. And that that's kind of how it went. Um, when I went to the States, uh, it, was, it was, you know, you're dipping your toe in. Um, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a podcast like a Canadian Investing in the U.S. And yeah. I was trying to figure a lot of this out. Off the start, there was a lot of mistakes, and I did use completely my own money while I was doing this myself. Hmm. But as any good business grows, um, once you figure this out, you start to build your systems, you start to figure out how this is repeatable. You find the contractors, you work out your business. And then I start taking money partners on. And honestly, I do believe that is um, people who go right into um, uh, raising money at day one. Uh, I applaud them because, it, you know, they are going to grow much faster. But um, part of it scares the crap out of me to take other people's money before you don't have a system set up. Um, uh, it's, it's terrifying, but that, that's a lot yeah. of how the, the business started. And then it just, just kept growing. Um, I honestly did a lot of joint ventures once I started to take on private money as the way I went. Uh, and then, uh, one of your previous guests, Quentin D'Souza, I mean, him sat down and had a, we, we still sit down every once in a while. We did it, I think last week. Um, and we had a really powerful conversation and he, he looked at my business plan and he said, Clint, what you're doing is every six months you're doing, you're turning another property. You buy it, you renovate it, and then you you cash out your JV, but then you keep them on forever. And he's like, Your whole process doesn't make any sense. He's like, I do JVs back then, right? He's like, I do JVs, but he's like, I'm keeping them on for like a five-year term, like just typically like when you're doing a multifamily raise or doing a syndication or even just a smaller one, um, typically the the term is longer, right? Or before the refinance happens. Yeah.
0: Five five years usually.
1: Yeah, exactly. But he's like, you're doing a six month. So he's like, why, why bother with joint ventures? So I switched my business. I went, you know what? This is great advice. I ran the numbers. You make way more money using uh, debt partners than equity partners And I switched to using the debt partner model. Hmm. And what happened uh, when I did that is what it did was it actually um, crippled my business. Uh, It made it really hard to run because I don't believe in raising more than 100% of a project. Um, I believe if you're paying people back with their own money, it's Ponzi scheme. So I didn't ever raise more than 100%. So when you have carrying costs, where does that money come from? The mm-hmm. money for my carrying costs was coming from my cash flow from the first 10 properties or 20 properties that I bought in the US. And what it was doing was depleting my cash flow. So it was making it difficult to be, have that money to live off of because I was using it as carrying costs on mm-hmm. all the renovations. So and- for
0: you, as a, that, that uh, partner was like a, a big mistake. The best thing was you as an uh, equity partner, basically.
1: Yeah. So what I changed it to is I still use debt partners Mm. and I still use equity partners, but you have to have a balance. It's just like everything. If you're just a flipper, you're going to be, have the most active thing. And if you're just a burr investor, you're always waiting for the money later. Mm. You need to have with everything, you need to be doing flips. You need to be doing burrs. You need to be doing lease options. You need to have um, short-term debt. You need to have long-term debt. You need to have debt partners, which Mm. would be private investors. Um, because you will make more money on that, but you also need equity partners to keep your carrying costs at a reasonable level. And Mm -hmm. I think it's all about a balance of a lot of different things, which sounds complicated, but it really isn't. When you start to break it down to each project, what you do is you finish projects, you kind of look at your board. I have a board that I keep behind me um, just off camera. And I see what, what I'm doing on each one. And I'm like, okay, I'm getting too many joint ventures, which would be equity partners. I need to take on some more debt partners. And I try to mix it up because that's the easiest way to be able to live off of this. So that you're not compressing your cash flow because, hundred yeah, we need to live off of these. Yeah. So anyway, that, that that's how kind of how the, the business started. I kind of went on a, a side rant there a little bit, but I think yeah. it, I think it did help. I think there's some people will have some care, takeaways from that.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Like I think the the actual hap, uh, platform it's helpful because you're always listening to what is, whatever is gonna suit your your model. So yeah. everyone has his own criteria, but it's not everything can be good for your, your business. Yeah. My main first question, I think, because you have a unique uh, as a Canadian working in the US heavily. So, what was the major upside for you versus Ontario, especially uh, especially for newbies who's working on on southern Ontario? They always like their main concern is appreciation, especially on the last five six years. So, like, what was the upside for you?
1: Well, when I I was going to the States, like some of the the big upsides, um, which may be obvious or may not be, was picking places that were more landlord friendly. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Like I said, being the property manager was not my strong suit and I was the property manager in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So it did bring me into the Ontario landlord tenant board more than I would like. Um, And it was, it wasn't where I wanted to be um and so whenever i was gonna branch out like i could i could have branched out and you can branch out in canada as well you can go to lots of other provinces like alberta is very um more landlord friendly and new brunswick and there's other there's other places to
0: go yeah no rent control
1: yeah so going to places like that Mm. you can make things a little easier you can do your evictions a little faster um you can go through processes and that's what i was looking for in the u.s um and i also wanted to combine it with um getting into markets where the properties were more affordable or like, you know, what mm-hmm. is a multifamily podcast. So the cap rates were higher. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I was looking for a higher return in cheaper properties. Right. Um, I, when I started this, I not like a lot of these people, I didn't start with a lot of money. I was using lines of credit to get going. Once I got that going, I built out my own business and you know, it, it grows and grows, mm-hmm. but um, I was looking for more affordable properties. And I know that, yes, you go, you can go find more affordable properties in Canada. They do exist all over the place, but sometimes when you get into those really cheap properties in Canada, the, the fundamentals of the market aren't there. You're talking about small little towns instead of big cities. Whereas you go into the U S and you can get those big cities that have big business and stuff that's backing that, that whole city. Um, Whereas sometimes you're, you're getting those same numbers in Canada or Northern Ontario you're talking about small little towns that uh, honestly only have one major business. There's one thing that's keeping that town afloat. And if that one business is a mine, like for doing mining or gypsum or whatever their mine is, mines do close. If you looked at Northern New Brunswick, that whole area, all those mines closed, they used to be mm-hmm. open. And what you, you think about where, what do those people do now? They basically are all on welfare or New Brunswick, welfare equivalent right yeah yeah. um there is there isn't anything there you go up to bathurst new brunswick and like i've been there several times because i have family from there Mm -hmm. and there's like superstore survives walmart survives and shopper survives and the whole downtown's done right yeah yeah. um so i I'd, i'd rather invest in a city that can give me the same kind of numbers as that but is backed by big industries and big business and on a, a major corridor. And so it you know, has lots of traffic, like a major interstate going through it, that it's going to continue to go. Right. There's a lot of things you could say, like if you went into even say a Detroit or something, I don't invest in Detroit, but you know, yeah. a car industry, if car industry left that there was another business there as well. Yeah. Right. Which they didn't really have Detroit wasn't a good example, but that's what I was, I was looking for something that had more to it um, a, as well.
0: So to summarize, as you're looking for, basically the market fundamental economic wise, which is 100k population, major uh, economic industries, uh, schools, uh, like an ongoing community, which is, I think, always above 100k population wise
1: yes and if you get into some of those small towns which i do get into them because say i'm working in i don't know wherever and i I get into the towns just outside of that they are they they do they get the feed off of the major city right they're like kind of like bedroom communities um but what you do do find if you get into those proper or those populations under twenty five thousand, which i have getting gotten into you'll find that the lenders there's fewer lenders you just we're already, we're foreign nationals as Canadians. We right. are not residents of that country. And if it, so, we already have way fewer less, less sorry, lending options. Yes. Then you're going to compile that by maybe buying an asset class that's harder to um, get financing for, like a mobile home or a modular home. Uh, there's lots of things. And then you combine that with smaller sit towns. Sometimes it makes it very difficult. You've taken your Few options you had and compressed them even more. So yes. what I you make it why make it harder on yourself?
0: Hundred percent, percent. I think and the other point is really making sense as rent control right now in Ontario. You're talking about cash for keys bare unit twenty five k to get a vacant unit. So it's crazy. Like when people in US hearing this, they started to think like oh, maybe for the building. No, no, I told them no bare unit for cash for keys now is twenty five k. So with yeah. the with the price of the unit is it doesn't make sense to be honest, yeah. unless you're playing on the appreciation, which is not the actual good approach. The always on this business we have to focus on cash flow.
1: That's going to be different, right, compared to if you're doing like a you know five plus units and five under four four or under units. Yeah. If you're going with a five plus units and you're paying the twenty five grand. Highly, that's that seems really high. But say you're paying cash for keys for even a smaller amount of 10k or something like that. Yeah. Um, if you can double the rent when they move it out, um, you know it's going to go apply right to your net operating income, which applies yeah. to a cap rate, and you can make it make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you're doing that on a single family home or a four unit, it just it doesn't it doesn't work. It doesn't have the same multiplier, so it's going to make it very hard 100%. for smaller uh, landlords in Ontario
0: yeah 100%. So my next question is what is your target market and criteria like cap rate wise and you mentioned the target market but where do you actually invest right now?
1: So um what happens is it's a little bit different the way I do with my investing because um to say like um I want a certain cap rate it it's I don't keep anything in the properties like I'm usually doing a refinance right away. Um I'm usually I go into properties we do a renovation on I think I bought two properties ever that we didn't do a renovation on. We hmm. usually go in, we do a heavy renovation, uh, and we boost the value a lot, usually hmm. doubling the value of the property from what we bought it for or higher. Yeah. And we're looking to refinance, get all of the money back, right? Yeah. Um, so when we're doing better than perfect burrs, uh, it, it's we're what I'm not concerned about is the cash flow, or sorry, not the cash flow, the, the return on investment, because yeah. we're it's an infinite return. Well, um, My partners are getting cashed out quickly and yeah. that's also makes it because you, we were talking before we went on the air. It, it's one of those things that makes it so I don't need a lot of partners. Um, I can take mm-hmm. the same partners, do cheap projects and cash them out uh, refinance very quickly out, out back in, back in, back in. And you can really, my threshold is I like to, you know, I, I, who knows how far I'll go, but I usually like to do about 20 renovations at a time and If you're doing that and you only need a few partners that have some money, right? And you can recycle that same money back and forth into the projects every time. And so um, when you're looking at what is your returns, well, if we kept all the money in, like uh, I didn't actually run the numbers on this, but say I bought... I know a lot of people are going to hear these numbers and go, "Come on, you're really you're buying this." But we sometimes we buy like a, a duplex for like seven grand. Uh, we'll put in, uh, be all in with a renovation of like forty. This literally is a property that I own, and then we rent each side for seven fifty, right? We'll do a, a refinance, pull the money back, pay a, the partner out, um, and then we'll split the cash flow going forward. And on these cheap things, if you just say put a, a mortgage on for what you put into the property or maybe even 10 over or 20 over just so we each actually get a chunk of cash because it's almost like flipping you know, i like those little chunks of cash every once in a while hmm. um and then we can both stay in the project um we'll split the cash flow but the hard part about that whole um system is your jv has nothing in the in the deal right they they uh they no longer have any uh cash in the deal um all their Money has been cashed out to them. Uh, mm-hmm. We've we've stripped it all out. Um, they still cash flow very well. So if you're going to try and figure out what the cap rate on that is, it's probably very good. Um, mm-hmm. But um, they don't. I'm doing all the work afterwards. I get stuck yeah. with the job of all the work. So the trick to the, making these kind of business work is to set up a lot of systems so that I'm not doing all the work. <laughs> so you're not. You're hiring everything. Yeah, everything you got at that point. You're hiring bookkeepers. You're going to put it all out so that it isn't your job to do a whole lot of work. Yeah. Um, I, what I always say is if you're going to build a business, um, what I try to do, or what I did was I built this business while I had a full-time job. And if you can mm-hmm. do it on part-time hours, and then when you leave your job, you can continue to do this on part-time hours. Isn't that what we were all thinking about doing, right? Isn't yeah. that the goal of this? It wasn't to leave your job to work a whole lot more. percent. The, the goal was to go. So what whenever I left my job, the, the goal was not, uh, it was more to scale this, like, how can I do more of these with still doing, uh, being very little part of it. And a lot of it is building up teams and setting up teams. So I don't walk properties ever. A lot of these 90% of my properties I've never seen. Right. So it's setting up people to walk properties, contractors, to bid out properties, uh, contractor, or sorry, uh, realtors to pull uh, CMAs, comparative market analysis, and let me know what the properties are gonna be worth. Um, going, uh, getting your property manager to bid out the renovations, having someone to do everything that is uh, a bunch of different people, to, to basically come in, summarize this all into one chat, look at some numbers quickly, be able to make quick decisions on these. Um, like typically what I, what I love to do is be a cash buyer, which wholesalers love, Like be a cash buyer, find a property on a Wednesday, close it, uh, put it under contract on a Friday and close it on a Monday, right? Really fast, all cash in and out of projects uh, and double or triple the value of the house during that, that project is what I do. I just do a lot of them. And I, it doesn't involve a lot of time for me because I've built out people that I know, like, and trust to do a lot of these systems for me.
0: That's basically was my next question, to be honest. <laughs> that your business model is re- li- relies on, on long distance management. So how you managed to create your core team between different markets? What was your system, basically? Especially because you're looking for property management, contractors, as you said, uh, realtors. So how you managed to do this on different markets? Especially what is your markets, again, like in which states you're focusing on?
1: So uh, I invest uh, in where i'm doing a lot of business right now is western ohio um okay. and uh we're going back and we're going into birmingham alabama um mm-hmm. and i used to do a lot of stuff in huntsville alabama but i got it, it's tripled in price so it's made it i still have the mentality of last or three four years ago's prices so i i can't i can't pull it off because it, it hurts my brain to pay that much for those properties now yeah. so it's more of a, a good market to sell in right now um But anyway, it's everyone's personal opinion. There's tons of appreciation in that market. Um, uh, I have properties in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana, Kansas City, Missouri. And we're doing flips in Jacksonville, Florida and down the coast, uh, uh, the ocean coast uh, in Florida. But we're uh, 2022 or even the projects that are on right now are going to be the last of that sort of Jacksonville down to Palm Bay corridor Um, where it's been, you know what, there's markets that are easier and there's markets that have been more difficult. And that was one of the markets we made really good money in, um, actually better money doing flips and stuff in those markets than doing Ohio or Huntsville or Indiana or Kansas city. But we made more money, but it was a lot more work for me. And that's not the goal. I would rather do more projects. I'd rather be the Walmart, um, do a lot of projects. Yeah. And in and out, uh, and it's just been more difficult. And um, my real takeaway, if you are interested in those kind of markets, is remember where your contractors are coming from. So, in my case, if you're going to go buy in, say, Palm Boy Bay, Florida, which is like an hour and a half down the coast from Jacksonville, if you're going to go buy in a market like something like that, your contractors don't live in these beach towns. They're coming mm-hmm. from the city. And if you know anything about contractors, they're always working on more than one project at once at least good contractors are and the Mm -hmm. reason is they always need to have no gap between projects so they just keep working on one they finish one off and something new will come in while they're working on the other one right so the problem is they have other projects excuse me and their projects are in jacksonville Mm. and jacksonville is where they live so it's a lot, their priority is going to be these Jacksonville projects. Hmm. You need them to go out there to do something light or easy. It doesn't, it's not worth their time. And they just, it's, it's harder to get people to travel out there. It is so much nicer to buy in these little beach towns and it's yeah. very sexy. And the, the sale market is aggressive and you can get more than what you're asking for. But it is going to be more difficult working with contractors outside mm. the city, just like we were kind of talking. When you get into under twenty five thousand, it's going to be just a little bit more difficult.
0: I was looking, to be honest, on Cincinnati, Ohio, because the market there yeah. was was good. Uh, not Indiana because it's a little bit appreciated there. Yeah, um, Detroit was one option too. But uh, did you check before Cincinnati or?
1: Yeah. No. Um, uh, we may be going into Cincinnati as well. Cause we're um, we have a team in Dayton and we've went down uh, South of Dayton, even halfway to uh, Cincinnati, right? Cause it's yeah. just a major city down the i 75. Um, and uh, we now have a contact with a, a bunch of the trades in mm-hmm. Cincinnati, um, but we haven't pulled the trigger there yet. But if you know, I was a gambling man, I would probably guess that there's going to be some Cincinnati uh, projects done in the next little bit. And like anything, when you're starting with a new contractor, um, well, honestly, sometimes I will start with a fix and flip loan, uh, w- depending on what kind of pro- project you're doing, or a bank loan, because the the banks will make sure that these people aren't doing anything. They, they'll help you check the people until you get all of your teams. If you have a partial team, the bank will fill in. The bank's taking the risk on these loans, and uh, they're going to make sure that they don't, you don't screw up. So you'll have the, the people that are going to come down and inspect um, for all of the things. so um, yeah, well, anyway, I'll probably will go do there. I'll probably start with a couple projects. Um, I'm not going to go open the floodgates. Um, yeah, need made. to t- test a contractor. You need to make sure that they do what they say they're going to do reasonably close to the timeline that they say and most importantly on budget, full scopes of work. I don't like uh, contractors that add on. And a lot of times I like to use my own money for the first couple projects to make sure, if anyone's taking the risk on, because that's the risk. The risk is new contractors and new markets, and a lot of times that's where I will take. That's what I'll use my money for, because uh, like we were talking before, a lot of times, or actually completely, um, I don't use my own money, right? And then what do you do with your money when you get money come in? To test things, <laughs> use your own money to test things, because you want, especially if you're taking private money or JV money, you don't want to do cash calls. You want things to go on plan and it's the best way to do that is to not bring them in for that part, right? 100%. Or have a good cash reserve so that you can even out any of the problems with your own money.
0: So regarding the structure of the business with joint venture, how you split usually the profits, like 70, 30? Because here in Canada, we're really famous about 50, 50, but in US is different. So sometimes you go 70, 30, 80, 20.
1: I am... I'm still I, I came from the Canadian background, and I do 50/50. Okay. <laughs> 50, 50. okay. everything. Um, even in US. Oh, okay, because in your
0: investors are Canadians, usually.
1: Yes, in the most part, I think I have three American um, JVs. Okay. but um, yeah, typically it's all uh, it's the Canadians that I work with, right?
0: Yeah. So what is your model, uh, like legal structure usually just a regular, uh, because this is a tricky part here when you have to avoid LLC to avoid double taxation, right? So what is your approach if you have Canadian investors and what is going to be your approach if you have American and what if you have the deal, you have Canadian and Americans.
1: <laughs> so first of all, I am not a CPA or an attorney. This is just um, (laughs) some advice about how I've done things. Literally, if you're going to do this stuff, talk to a professional cross-border accountant because they will still know legal structure because they work with all time or talk to an attorney. Don't mess around with this and do it correctly. So don't just hear something I say and then go to like, legal zoom and just download some forms and fill it out do it right 100%. right don't you don't want to be one of the next person that has a, a a big scandal in the paper do it right pay your structure do it correctly um and the thing is with me it is different that's the thing it is different um a lot of times What which way we're doing it right so you know the typical answer it depends right yeah. um so it, it honestly does depend it depends what your goals are and what your partner's goals are in this corporate structure um what you're trying to do the main thing to make sure is to not have an llc on the top uh, of your your legal structure Um, the problem with having uh an llc at the top is that canada doesn't have an equivalent uh structure so when you you go you get that back to canada and you're paying your taxes to cra um they, they may treat this thing like that that's like a corporation and so they may tax it corporately and in the States, if you're using an LLC, it's a flow through entity. So it means you're paying your taxes personally. So it flows that one concept confused me a little bit at the start because I've used to Canadian corporations and personal Canadian stuff. Um, but they have an, an entity in the States, LLCs and LPs that are flow through entities. So you pay your taxes personally. Um, so it is a little bit different, but... Um, that's the main thing is to figure out what you want to do. If you're going to planning to do a lot of of flips, a C-corp might make sense to put on the top um, because maybe you're leaving the the income from the flips is staying inside of it. So you're not pulling it out. So you're not paying dividends because when you're doing, um, uh, say you're doing a long-term holds and you're pulling the money out, you're going to be paying the corporate tax, which will be lower, right? But you're going to be paying dividends. Uh, So you pay half of the money you pull out, you'll be paying tax on, on your dividends that you pull out. So you're like, eh, it's probably it's it's, it's similar to, um, you know, running it in your personal name uh, for down into an LP, right, where you're kind of paying similar amounts. It's, you know, you have to be an accountant, but if you're leaving the money in and you're not doing the dividend part, like you're rolling properties, there's a huge advantage to running in a C-Corp, right, instead of running in an LP. But in all honesty, a lot of times I run in LPs. My typical structure is an LP, Um, inside of every LP, you have to have a general partner and a limited partner, which you're talking multifamily. That's always the talk in multifamily is the GP and the LP. And, um, depending on how you want to set this up, uh, a lot of people will make their GP or they'll put some LLCs underneath, or you can make LPs underneath. You can do this a million different ways to skin this cat. But, um, a lot of times they'll put LLCs underneath and they'll make the first LLC, number one, the GP. And then the rest of them will hold the properties underneath and the LP will be the top of the structure. It doesn't have to be like that. I have so many entities and they're set up different ways. And it's really about talking to a good accountant or a good attorney, because based on your conversations, how big you want to make this business, what kind of business you're doing, flipping burrs, syndications, they will know that there's better ways to structure this for your situation So skipping this step of having that conversation is a big difference because, like I said, even with myself, we set it up different ways. But that what I just said with the LP and the LLCs underneath is probably a very typical um, structure, but not always the case. Probably only my structure maybe 40% of the time because we have so many different structures depending on what the goals of everyone are.
0: Yeah, me personally, I had this conversation on different deals. Some of them saying bear trust. Some of them saying it's better to have a shareholder agreement. Some of them, you can go with GPLB. So yeah, 100% agree. Every time is the accountant telling you, okay, in this kind of partnership, it's better to go this way.
1: <laughs>
0: Especially yeah. on the cross-border side. Like I have been working with PDO before and like every time he's saying something different. So yeah, 100% agree. That means you have a good accountant because that's if they're giving you different advice each time, they're
1: thinking about the actual situation and they're not yeah. doing a cookie cutter.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, my next question is I had a problem on the beginning in US, which is the lending side. And you you opened this subject basically. As a Canadian, you are basically an alien because yeah. you don't live there. Uh, you have to have boots on the ground, you have to show uh, credibility there. Some lenders not. So, what was the major I think challenge for you when you started uh, and what was the initial terms and what is the current terms? Because you, you evaluate, like you, you have evaluation, like not evaluation, uh, I'm sorry. um, Like evolution on your portfolio, you scale it on the last uh, five, six years. So what was the previous term and the current term for you with the lenders? Well, it depends. Like, so first of all, that if you want the
1: cheapest money you can get and you're buying in your personal name, which I don't do right? The cheapest money you're going to get is the Canadian banks, right? Um, The problem with the Canadian banks is they typically limit you to five properties. Um, That includes Canada and the U.S. and your principal residence. So at no point could I ever work with Canadian banks because I've had a a larger business than that at all points um, since I've been in the U.S., um, so I never worked. And honestly, I wouldn't, I, I don't want to own things in my own personal name. Um, the, the US is more litigious than Canada. I would like to have that little wall. I want to have a um, million dollars of liability in my properties, at least. Um, I want to have walls. I want to make security to make sure I'm not going to have any problems. Um but for lending, um, typically I'm I'm look I'm into the, the broker or uh I don't know if you call it, depends on how you like to talk to them. Sometimes they're considered hard money, sometimes they're not really hard money, they're kind of institutional, it but they're they're um online banks and a lot of stuff is where I'm I'm typically working. Um so hard money gets the wrong term. You always think that they're doing fix and flip loans when you say hard money, but that's not necessarily what they can do. They can give you loans, uh, they can give you a Twenty million dollar loan on a multifamily and at a decent rates, right? Still more expensive than on t- Canada rates, right? Canadian rates are much lower than American rates, um, and we're also foreign national, right? So typically the leverage is hurt. If you're an American and you go to invest in Canada and you walk into Royal Bank or TD or CIBC or whoever, they are going to move your loan to value down. And the same thing is going to happen as a Canadian when you go down to the US. They're going to move your loan to value down. Um, it changes. American lending changes a lot. Um, Back in the fall, we were getting 75 loan to value on a cash out refi. Um, Now it's about 70 and not even all the time they can do 70. Sometimes they're going to say 65, depending on which lender you're talking to, because they all change their thing. There is 70 out there. You uh, You can usually find 70, but even I'm not sure when this is going to air. It changes all the time. Um, The Fed raised the the interest rates, Canada, um, they raised their interest rates. Um, So if you want to ask me, what can you get in the States? Um, Well, you could get in under five, you can get in the four and three quarters. Uh, four and a half uh, a few months ago. Now it's basically a percentage or percentage and a half higher because the mm-hmm. fed went up. Right. Yeah, um, it's related to that. And the, the one thing that Canadians don't realize is the way that properties are closed and the way um, that fees are closed uh, calculated for lending is different. So um, a lot of times um, in Canada, depending on how you're buying this, the, so a lot of these fees can be rolled right into the mortgage. Whereas typically in the US, you're going to pay the fees separately. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what what the fees are typically is loan uh, origination and points, right? So points are a percentage of the loan. Um, A lot of times I like to find lenders that will do zero points, but that's not always the case. And Mm -hmm. what you may or may not know is there's point buy downs. So if you're like, hey, they offer you a rate and you're like, I don't like that rate. What you can always ask them is, what about if I paid some points up front? What if I gave you um, more in fees at the very start of this property or project and then bought down the rate on these? What I like to do if I'm actually going to do that is to calculate it. If I'm going to pay an extra, say, four points, 4% of the loan, how much money is that? If I turn that into uh, how long do I need to keep this property for it to make sense, right? So run the loan out as if you were gonna do it with zero points or one point and run the loan out at which if you're gonna do this with four points and see what the difference is, where is the break even? And what you typically find is the break even will fall between year three and a half and four and a half. Hmm. And so if you know you're planning on doing a project that's gonna go longer than that, it probably makes sense to buy down the points. And if you're gonna do a shorter project, it probably doesn't make sense to, po- to the points. And the other thing is, you can also be in your head gambling on the rates because right now rates are going up, but everyone I talk to, they think they're going to go up a little bit farther and then they're going to come back down. So if that's your case and it's say they're down in like two years from now or three years from now, what, do, what would you do? Think about it in your head. Would you refinance at that point or in try and get into a better interest rate, or would you hold with your current rate? Cause that could affect whether you want to deal a points, buy down, or not right 100 yeah, yeah. percent. and what a lot of times almost always with lending i almost only one time did i not take a 30-year loan i always take the long-term loans to ride this out if there's a recession or anything else maybe there won't be maybe there will be but guess what if i have my loans and my money figured out for a long period of time even if i'm doing like a lease option for say three years where the tenant is going to buy this property off me i will still put a 30-year loan on this property The rates are not much different. And um, sure, I might have some fees to break this. Maybe I touch on that fees. A lot of times, the fees, if you're doing these fixed rate loans in Canada, Typically, there's a whole bunch of fees to break these early. So when people, when I say 30-year loan, they go, whoa, whoa, what if you sell this at five years? Are you going to pay penalties for 25 years worth of mortgage you never did like you would on a Canadian fixed rate mortgage? No, your fees and stuff are front loaded and they're usually a step down, meaning if you did a five-year step down, it would be 5% in year one to break your loan, 4% in year two, three, two, one, nothing, right? Um, you can do three year step downs. There's all kinds of different step downs. It's one thing to ask when you're doing this, because it's going to depend on what kind of project you're doing. Yeah. Right. And it wouldn't matter if you're doing a multi-family or a single family or a fourplex, because if you think you can do this um, renovation of your 24 unit building and you want to get it all done in three years, um, you probably want to have your financing step down match up to that <laughs> or pretty close to that because you don't want to pay these extra fees. Or you better have that in your, your spreadsheet that you've, you've planned for because,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> making it sense cost. more. Like, well, this is one of the advantages anyway on the U.S. system that here you're renewing every five years. There can use thirty years, have a constant cash flow, and whatever recession you have, as you said, yeah, it's a it's a big yes to be honest to the U.S. market. To be honest,
1: uh, but, you, but one thing to you... say,
0: I'll cut you off one more time. Yeah, <laughs> but the noise. Think about it. Um. Think about back
1: in 2007, eight or nine, where we say that recession started, right? Yeah. When that happened, the banks stopped doing refinances and lending. They, they, When American banks, when things start to go bad, they get scared and they get tightened and they stop. And if you need uh, money during that period, like you, your loan comes due, what are you gonna do? You're gonna have to find some private lending to step in to fill in that gap. Yeah. Maybe you could get your refinance done but you don't want to lose your property just because your loan came due. If I take That's why I take these long 30-year loans, and I can refinance them. I plan out my, buy, uh, my, my, my step down of the rate, and then I can refinance these things. And even if I was doing a three-year lease option, which means that I have this tenant only for three years, and they buy the property off of me as a rent-to-own, basically. In that case, you go, in, you're, if you're selling this thing in year four, well, then, hey, year four, there's 2% if you did a five-year buy-down if you just calculated that into your numbers, it's part of the numbers, right? Yeah. And a lot of times people need extensions. Um, you know, there's still tenants. They may not pay. We need to do an eviction. Um, things change. I had one of my lease options. They move States and, they, mm. and they're just going to walk away from their deposit of 5% of the house they put down before they started this whole thing, because yeah. they're moving, they're moving to the other side of the country. Um, so you know, you just don't want to be stuck with your I don't know, hands in the pocket going, what am I going to do here? I have nothing to nothing pay for all these things.
0: So, so so far in, in, in your portfolio, what is the best performing market so far for you?
1: Oh, well, that's a, that's a tough question. So if you're going to say appreciation, the market that I have done the best in would probably be um, Huntsville, Alabama.
0: Hmm. It,
1: it appreciated significantly over the last three years. Um, and even Palm Bay, Florida, I got lucky with Palm Bay. I went and bought properties in Palm Bay and then uh Realtor.com announced it as uh 2020 or 2021's number one place to invest. So yeah. all the sheep went and bought there afterwards and pushed the prices way up. Um, but if you want to talk cash flow, um, yeah. my best cash flowing properties have been in probably Western Ohio. Or Kansas City, Missouri have done, have mm-hmm. done the best cash flow. Um, kind of in the middle, it would be like the Indianapolises where it's appreciated a lot, and I've got uh, a, a good cash flow from the properties. So it's kind of a, a mix. But still, um, a lot of these Midwest states or central states, mm. um, the appreciation isn't like what you see in Ontario with twenty percent or something. You're talking about like a three or five percent appreciation. When markets fall apart, they don't go down that much. When yeah. uh, everything appreciates a ton, they don't go up that much. It's a safer market. It's a cash flow play. Um, whereas you go to the exterior um, or a swing state, you go to like a Florida or an Arizona, they, when things go good, they go real high. When things go bad, they go real down, right? So there's a lot more. Um,
0: the same difference like Alberta and Ontario. Exactly. Where you on Edmonton, always you have a good cash flow, but there's no appreciation. At all, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're in Ontario; the appreciation is crazy, but the cash flows suck.
1: <laughs> and, and like I, I was I touched on before, it, it's and that's why I'm in several markets. Markets have different cycles. Markets yeah. have different levels of appreciation. Some of them are appreciation markets. Some of them are cash flow markets. And by being doing different strategies in different markets, you can try to get the best of everything. Yeah, right? yeah. If you say I'm only a borough investor, I'm only uh what whatever kind. I'm only a flipper. You're only gonna get the one thing, and you're gonna take the hits when the hits come. You're gonna get the boosts when the boosts come. But if you're mixed up, you might get boosts while there's hits, and you can
0: sort of. You wanna develop. have a bulletproof plan.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. So my next part that we wanna touch base is uh, the raising capital, uh, like how you created your own system and when you started to really say, okay, this is a point that I need uh, to have a system to risk capital. And what was your initial steps?
1: I think that my steps are not going to be the typical steps. So um, we're doing multi, you're talking to the multifamily podcast and I had a conversation with Joe Fairless um, many years ago, probably seven years ago. And I was on his show Um, And I also, we just sat down and talked a bunch um, and I invested in some of his projects way back and, um, but it was good. We got, we had a relationship and what he told me to do way back to start a podcast, Hmm. start a podcast, give it all away, tell people how to do everything you're doing about investing in Hmm. the U S from Canada, give it all away. And he's like, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. And for a long time, you're not going to know why you're doing it. (laughs) And so that's what I did. I did two years, uh, I tried to build a business where I would get a referral business so I could connect people to different you know, operators and other things, um, and I'd make a commission from it, but it really wasn't a business, right? And what for the money-raising part, it, it came organically, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when you give away everything um, is what a lot of people, depends on what they do, they either see the honesty in you that you are giving away, you're not trying to hide anything and there's no upsell to the whole thing, or they will just be overwhelmed with the amount of information and they'll go, I like what he's doing, I like the whole thing, but I, there's too much. Like right now you're like, there's 200 and something episodes to listen to and they're all like 40 minutes long. How, that's too much time to listen to all this. I would just prefer to let you do it. Um, and that's how oh. it goes. Um, I don't advertise. I'm not. Uh, I'm not raising that kind of money. I don't advertise. I do smaller projects. I don't. I'm not really interested very often in even getting new investors in. Um, but it. What I think that's my technique is I just give it all away and let people come to me. Uh, it's. I guess it's. It, is it fishing? Because I don't chase anyone. I, I. I just let them come to me and we have conversations. And the people I do work with. It's not someone who just picks up the phone and calls me and says, Glenn, I have, you know, a million dollars I want to invest. And I go, no, that, that, that's not how it works, right? We have to build a relationship. It's usually having lots of calls for a long period of time to figure out exactly what they're looking for. And then we figure out what it is and we build relationships. We go for coffee. We, it's not uh, a raising the same way as with a syndication. I'm not, uh, they don't necessarily have to be accredited investors because I'm not doing that thing. I'm investing with friends and I'm investing with friends. And that's why it isn't overnight. If, if you did want to invest with me, it's like, we're going to be meeting for a year for regular coffees and talking. And we're going to know each other very well. Um, I've made mistakes by taking on partners that we didn't have a good synergy. And I don't do that anymore. Um, I am not desperate for the money. So I would rather build the relationship before we start putting money in because money complicates relationships.
0: And at the same time, you're following the law. With the security law because yep. having relationship is the main thing to avoid having this issues was uh with, I think five oh six c and b yes on correct. Yep, so, you are exactly right. Yeah, you're following five oh six uh, c I think on this yep. matter. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I don't do uh the five oh I don't actually do an official syndication of any of them, but I do follow the laws and you, you have they have to know these people.
0: Yeah. Um, and
1: the only way around doing this is doing uh, well, you know the numbers better than me but doing uh, proper syndication with credit investors yeah. and then you can have the advertising. But um, there's been a lot of Canadians. They've gotten in trouble with these kind of things and Americans that have gotten in trouble with these things. 100%. There's nothing to lightly fool around with. Um, I'd say the number one rule is do not advertise your stuff on Facebook. It is the biggest thing I see all over the place.
0: And Instagram too. I see a lot of people <laughs> doing it on Instagram. DM me for the new deal. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: you know what? There's the securities exchange or Ontario securities, whichever department you're working with, right? They aren't trolling this, looking for these people. And that's why people think it's okay. They aren't trolling, looking for people who are breaking the law. It's not an issue until somebody, some deal doesn't go perfectly. And somebody calls the police, calls the securities exchange, and then they open everything up into a securities audit. I was down at a mastermind in Florida and there were several people who had went through securities audits. They are miserable and worse than getting audited for your taxes. And you do not want to go through it. They will go through everything to make sure you're completely compliant and they will charge you for everything that isn't. They will go through um, archives of Facebook, archives of LinkedIn. They will look through everything you've ever done and find all the problems you've had in your business. So just do it right from the start,
0: hundred percent, percent. Yeah. Next question is B. What is your strengths or superpower?
1: Pardon me. What's my stance for superpower?
0: You no, know, no. What is your strength or superpower?
1: Oh, you know what? I think I wasn't ready for this question, but I think if I was going to say my superpower is is dealing with difficult stuff, the pain. Um, taking on stuff that other people won't do Mm. and dealing with difficult situations. It is, it makes my life stressful. I don't, I've built my business to not work a lot, Mm. but I, it will impact your mind all the time when you're thinking about these difficult things. But I would say, um, compared to a lot of people I've talked to, including family members that do real estate as well, I am much more open to taking on more difficult things and in dealing with more difficult things a lot of people can't deal with that level of stress and what people downplay a lot is the level of stress you get when you're handling other people's money and -hmm. doing a lot of work and a lot of projects and i think being able to deal with that stress and deal with difficult situations and stopping and breaking down problems which it sounds so easy but you you first way i do it is i step back I like to write stuff down, write myself through problems and talk to my wife. She doesn't really even say anything back. I just talk and she just listens. And you know what? I can figure stuff through it. But a lot of times there is a result. People buy, buy it back out of sales and you're just like, why? People change their mind on all kinds of things. And a lot of it is just determine what is going on with them and what happened with that contractor. Figure breaking problems down to what they actually The root cause is, and then trying to bring them back. I had two deals where I got last week, where I got the cancellation of purchase. They they were we're backing out of both of them. I sat down, we got the realtors on the phone because I'm selling these, and we reworked our ways through these deals and got them back under contract. Figured out what the root problem of these problems are and Mm. fixed them. And sometimes they're expensive fixes and sometimes they're not. Sometimes it could be that they just maybe I'll just go to an example one of them we were selling a property and the person was like the basement's a little musty and they were trying to get us the day before closing to add sub pumps in the basement and these are expensive and te- you can't do them overnight right yeah um, it was gonna screw the whole deal over the whole thing was going to be gone and with just breaking down because we didn't know why they wanted some the pumps we thought it was a, a water backup or we needed a backup valve or something like that and some of these things can be solved with a $100 dehumidifier, right? And But it's it, the thing is, they don't tell you that's why they're backing out. You just yeah. get this contract that we're backing out. And then you, you go back and forth. And it's about digging in, finding out what people's real problem. You want to do seller financing? Figuring out what people, what they need, and f- finding a way that works for both of you. It's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most Find a solution thing. for
0: both of them. Talk yeah. to them and find a solution. Yeah. <laughs> my last question will be who's your influential mentor like in in the different stages did you had different mentors in your career or
1: oh yes um and uh, what it depends what you consider mentor so um I do I I, I typically in my business I always have an accountability buddy um so there's I usually try to find someone who is doing big things and has is very goal oriented. And then they're ideally not doing the same business as me as weird as it sounds. If you're, when I find someone who's doing the exact same business, there's a weird competitiveness, it doesn't make sense. There's no reason to, you could be working in different countries. Mm. um, But no matter what they buy something, you're like, I need to buy, you know, you have this weird thing. So I try to find someone who's doing something kind of different. And then we, um, we go over go goals, we review goals. And for many years, uh, I worked with Matt Geertz, uh, who's in London, Ontario. And he did a totally different business I Meaning, He was a wholesaler. And we bounced each other's ideas. We grew both of our businesses. We worked on each other's business. We neither of us have jobs. Both of, both of us are very successful now. And mm-hmm. I don't think that either of us would have been there without each other. Um, there's lots of other people that I, you know, Darcy White, you just had on your show. I talked yeah. with him, Ari Bonin. We uh, talked with him on my, on my advanced real estate. We had a mastermind that we met every year, uh, every week um, for, oh, it's, I think we're on to like two and a half years or something now. Mm. And after doing that for years, we just said, we should probably record this. It does change the dynamic once we record it and had a to topic. Um, and so it turned into a podcast. Yeah. Uh, that's advanced real estate investing talk now. But it used to be a mastermind and just getting into these groups with people who are doing bigger things than you because Darcy does amazing things, Ari does amazing things, and just feeling different businesses. Um, I like to go down to masterminds. I was down in Florida two months ago. I'm going down again in two weeks. Um, Being around, people who are doing big things. If you're by yourself for too long, you think you're the biggest fish. And you get that stupid, get your chest up, and then you go and sit down with somebody, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I I, uh, I wholesale these huge properties, and multifamilies, and like, oh yeah, what's your cut? I eh, usually make what a million dollars. Oh, how many of those do you do a year? You know, twelve. What? You're like, what? You're doing way bigger stuff. Put yourself in, be the smallest fish in the room, and you'll Always. humble yourself, yeah. and you, you'll you'll your growth. Being around people that are doing big things." it's amazing what it does to your mind. I'm going down to the same mastermind and I'm going to hear the same speakers as I heard two months ago. You're like, is it going to be about the speakers? Like if someone bought their recordings? No, it's about those conversations where we're sitting around afterwards and we're just talking with people who are doing massive things. And just those little ideas are so valuable. They grow my business exponentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So my final question will be, how the people can follow your success?
1: So... Canadian Investing in the US podcast, advanced real estate investing podcast. Um, and if you're just like, hey, there's a where am I gonna go for all this stuff? And you know, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, just go to glensutherland.com and you can kind of go to all those things. Um, I'm not trying to raise money, I'm not trying to do anything, I'm just trying to share. And if it works for you, let's become friends.
0: (laughs) For sure. Thanks a lot for your time today, and we're really happy to bring you again to the show and Whoever likes the, uh, the episode, please subscribe and like the episode, and please see uh, Glenn contact information on the link below uh, on the show. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Adam.